0: I don't think cancer ever is opportune timing, but that really, I mean, it threw me for a loop. I don't think I even really picked my head up. We had just rebranded the business in, in early 2016. And so we were like full steam ahead at the time. And, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't really get a chance to sit with it or take time off or really reflect on it. I felt very much that I had to see that evolution you know, through.
1: Each new challenge also provides a new opportunity for us to reinvent the industry and reconsider ways in which we've done things in the past. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate each and every day. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. When Matt and I first met, he was just kicking off the formation of his business in San Francisco, which was going to focus on building more sustainable spaces and buildings. In a similar way, we were also trying to make a name for ourselves in an industry that over the last decade transformed the Bay Area commercial real estate market into one of the most important ones across the world. Matt got a big break with Boston Properties who have put him and his team to work on what would become the Salesforce Tower in San Francisco, and as the story usually goes, the rest is history. Stoke today works with clients across the country and the globe, and Matt's vision of creating radically better buildings is coming to full realization. Welcome to the pod, Matt. Matt, good afternoon, how's it going?
0: Good morning, Vlad, it's good to hear your voice. Yeah, it's thank going, you. <laughs> going well these days, yeah, better than it has I been. I haven't
1: heard somebody you know say that they enjoy my voice in a while, so thanks, Matt. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that, Matt. You and I have known each other now for over a decade. But just as a, a way of introduction, tell us a little bit about Matt and Stoke, your business, and kind of how the you know winding path of your career led you to where you are today.
0: Mm, that's a loaded question. How <laughs> long do you have?
1: Many megs of memory on my recorder, Matt. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I- Background-wise, I was a graduate from college into uh, basically the the Great great Recession, um, the the GFC of 2000. I graduated in in 2007 timeframe, but really just didn't know what I was going to do and didn't know where I wanted to take my life. I got lucky enough to uh, start to build a house with my dad, actually his house, and I actually spent a year and a half on like 35 acres in the Northwest hills of Connecticut, building this dream house of of my dad's. And that was really the the start of my career, if you will, just because I I, I look back on that point and I was so curious about design and construction and yet had zero experience. I, I studied finance and economics in college. So I was a fish out of water needless to say I, I actually literally fell off the roof on my first day on the job. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and um but what I did see in the process of of all that learning was just how inefficient it was. And maybe it was just cuz we were doing it inefficiently, but like I was just surprised that you, you know, were ripping material and then throwing the other pieces out. You know, why doesn't the material Fit the whole side of the wall or 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 why do we have to you know waste so much and my honestly my studies had had taught me to kind of look at waste as an opportunity and uh that it was an inefficiency in a process and um i kind of gravitated towards that studied on kind of how to how to do it and, and how people were doing it at the time of course this was more residential focused at the time and just was so intrigued by green building, and it just seemed to make so much sense. So that was really my my first kind of entree into what I do now. Yeah, and that was 2008 timeframe. I picked up and moved out to California, started a business. Yeah,
1: and this was also a time when kind of that green movement was really beginning to kick off. I think USGBC, what its sort of lead certification kind of came out right right around that same time. And I think a lot of attention, certainly during the recession, I think. You know, a lot of the brokers were getting, you know, accredited for, yeah. you know, lead and, you know, that kind of stuff. There was a lot of attention on it. Today, it seems, you know, table stakes, right? But back totally. then, this
0: was this was a new thing. Yeah, I, I remember actually a, a lot of like the news channels where I was, like the local news channel would talk about going green at the time. So you're totally right. It was front of mind. People were taking the lead AP, you know, in droves. Um, that was the big thing at the time uh, is to get your accreditation. And I did the same in, in, in 2008, basically. It was a, a time where it was starting to really pick up steam. You know, then, of course, the GFC maybe helped and, and, and didn't help in some ways. Yeah. But uh, for us and our business, it actually gave us a ton of time because, I mean, I literally landed in San Francisco in, in um, September of 2008. And there was not a whole lot to do. I mean, the world had just <laughs> yeah. had just kind of, fall into its knees. And um, certainly, you know, starting a real estate business at that time was, was not opportune. But it did actually give us a, a bunch of time to figure out what we we're going to do. This this business actually started as a residential home efficiency uh, business. We, we thought we'd be, you know, home energy experts. Yeah. And quickly, during that time frame realized that that wasn't the path forward, pivoted towards commercial, and took the next basically two years to get to get smart on what we didn't know what made you realize that that was the right decision at that time the true story is that we did a blower door test which is like a an air seal test for a home and we totally failed we were such amateurs but we we sucked (laughs) all of the ash out of the fireplace onto this guy's white carpet in his living room and i So then you got into the carpet cleaning business very quickly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We walked out of there and we were like, we are never doing that again. I think we got paid maybe a couple hundred bucks for it. The guy was so nice about all of our misgivings. But yeah, that was, we literally walked down the street and and we're like, let's, let's not do that again. And that was it. Yeah, that was the pivot. Interesting, (laughs) interesting. You you
1: felt the commercial industry was going to give you a a, you know a lot more leeway in that in that respect, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I just think I think at the time we were we were attracted to it. I had some experience in it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, My business partner at the time had some experience in it, but. We just were thinking both. were thinking bigger. I mean, we, at the end of the day, I think both of us really had in our hearts and minds at, at the whopping age of 25 years old to be to be real estate developers. I mean, we really were, were passionate about that. Our, our parents and family had had some experience there uh, and it intrigued us, us both. And I think we realized that we weren't going to get there by doing blower door tests <laughs> right. on, on res- <laughs> right. residences. Right. So. Yeah. So where
1: did that move you guys then? So, you know, how did you define the company that you wanted to run? Uh, the services that, you know, you wanted to offer? How did Stoke, the name, come about then?
0: Well, we were a company called Environmental Building Strategies for probably the first seven years of our of our history and changed the name to Stoke in 2016. And and really that was part of an evolution that we had taken from you know, the early onsets of this business, which of course, you know, were clunky, I guess is probably the best best way to put it. Yeah. And allowed us to really evolve into what we were trying to create, which was a real estate and sustainability brand that, you know, that had a lot of staying power in the market. I think people were pretty relieved at the end of the day about the name change internally and externally. But yeah, today I mean we're really sitting at that nexus of of real estate and, and sustainability. And have evolved a, a set of services to to cover a lot of bases. You know, it's a, both those industries require really such diverse sets of expertise. You know, and at first, our business was about lead certification, for instance, or or something very you know specific. But as more and more of our clients kept asking, you know, ancillary services alongside that, we had that opportunity to either insource or outsource and. Honestly, we 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 kind of made the decision to insource a lot of that talent. We really wanted to have it close to home. And then the the beauty of of that, I guess, which was kind of happenstance, is that as we brought on all these these kind of, you know, diverse sets of expertise, yeah. we realized that what they were doing for us was only a small fraction of what they actually, you know, had capabilities to do. So, we'd get an engineer for instance who'd come and, you know, want to do commissioning for us, but also had the ability to walk into a building and and do an audit, for instance, or to give recommendations on uh, how to get more value out of your building. And those became really the things that we ended up hanging our hat on. Today, our business, you know, is is really you know a, a consultancy. We're a set of professional service folks who you know really passionate about impact, really passionate about climate change, and what we do for the world. And as a result, have have really come together with this diverse set of expertise to create this bit of an amalgamation, actually, of uh, of talent that's trying to solve some some big problems, right? Trying yeah, to solve how yeah, yeah. you know we build buildings with less resources on this planet, right? Yeah, and how we use those resources more efficiently, and how you extract value through that process, which is which is the hardest part, I think. Yep, you can spend away on on doing these things, but. I don't really think that's in anyone's best interest.
1: No, and I think I think that method of thinking and that, you know, way of acting and doing things will only increase over time, right? I mean, I think as we're becoming all a lot more aware of our environment and pollution and all the other things, right? Certainly I can see that, you know, becoming the norm essentially, right? As you look at over the you know last ten years or something, since you've been in this in this business, how you know what are some of the big milestones that the company has accomplished that you know you're particularly proud of?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say the first milestone that I really reflect back on is our relationship with Boston Properties as a client. They hired us in right early 2009, okay. and we actually ended up doing a lot of the work for for nothing, to be truth be told. <laughs> Right, <laughs> we got paid eventually, but it was there was a lot of free work in there. But they, you know, I, I remember they interviewed thirteen different uh, groups for for helping them out with some with some work in their in their Embarcadero centers in San Francisco. It was like four million square feet of buildings all told, and right. and we were a hundred percent a fish out of water at the time. <laughs> but I think they actually liked <laughs> that like about us. Sounds like they knew us. it. Sounds like they knew yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think they knew it. Like they they recognized that they were. Gonna get from us a real dedicated approach, sure, right? We're sure, gonna get yeah. you know guys who really wanted it, and we're gonna help them step by step. And yeah, you just
1: hooked a whale, right? So they're like, okay, let's ride this. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. But the the reason there they were, I think, you know, one of my favorite stories is uh, really what happened uh, after that. We we definitely got some notoriety and and got a little more experience and whatnot, but. Know, three or four years later they were involved in the uh what was at the time the trans bay tower uh, yeah. now the salesforce tower as a uh, partner with heinz yes and yeah. then all of a sudden came into the the lead position and salesforce tower at the time was a really big deal it's still a really big deal it's was the largest you know project uh, west of the mississippi tallest building west of the mississippi at the time so for us it was there was no better place to put a flag in the ground than than with that property and then you know they were shooting for like lead gold the whole time and and eventually we ended up getting them to platinum and it became a, a really great success story for us so that's one that i think again by putting that flag on the map and people recognizing that we had done that work allowed us to leverage up into the uh, corporate real estate world yeah yeah and then develop relationships with the likes of, you know, Apple, Google, Facebook, um, Salesforce, you know, the kind of who's who amongst the Bay Area tech clients. And honestly, today, I mean, we serve both institutional real estate clients, REITs, funds, you know, et cetera, developers. Probably, we're most well known for the work we do with corporate real estate and and the sustainability leaders inside those organizations. And I think that today I'm, I'm most proud of those relationships because we've again taken what at the time was fairly out of left field scope of work for us, stuff that we didn't necessarily have a ton of comfort doing, but, but said, I think we can try to figure it out now have a five, six, sometimes even longer year relationship with some of these clients, where we're servicing, you know, their entire portfolios yeah, globally. Yeah. and that's really helped us expand. It's really helped us build a, a really dynamic team and definitely brings me a bunch of joy and, and pride. Yeah. That was going to be my next question. You
1: guys have also expanded geographically too. I mean, you've obviously moved away from just serving clients in the Bay
0: area, correct? Correct. Yeah. We were, um, we've done work globally, done work across Europe and APAC, but we primarily have offices in the U S right now and on the West coast. Yeah. So yeah, we've uh, offices in Denver and San Diego, I would say still a good chunk of our work does come from California and California based clients that's changing by the day we're doing work across the East coast. Now we're doing projects in Japan, Australia, Ireland, and yeah, it's super exciting to be able to to travel and,
1: yeah, and over the years Matt, one of the things that I have certainly noticed is you you guys have done a tremendous job, you know, when you send out your monthly announcements, you know, to the to the industry and to your clients. I'm on the distribution too. But you guys love to promote your people, which is which is I think fantastic, right? Because that's ultimately what what makes an organization. Tell me a little bit about, you know, your approach to hiring folks and hiring, a, you know, diverse talent pool and you know, any any advice and kind of, you know, lessons learned through that process?
0: Yeah, this is a loaded question. I I guess (laughs) it starts probably. I hope you don't like hate half of them, (laughs) because that would make it. I I like the I like the (laughs) questions. Definitely good. They're they're making me think. I think, you know, there's like philosophies or fundamentals that you have, and I think one of them was that culture eats strategy for lunch. Yes. Yep. And I don't know where I heard that or saw it. It might have been through our brand evolution and and just a bunch of reading and digging I was doing during I'm that. I'm going
1: to say that you came to one of our events a few years ago because we had a guy from PricewaterhouseCoopers that spoke at our event and he used that exact same s- statement. <laughs> so I'm, so I'm going to claim that you heard it at one of okay. our events about, you know, six, seven years ago, maybe eight.
0: <laughs> yeah, done. You you get the credit. <laughs> but so, so we really tried to, you know, build a, a strong culture and you know as a professional services business as well like i mean at the end of the day we are our people yeah our people are representing us outside with our clients every single day and and it's just how they show up and who they are and the values that they hold are ever more important in a business like this and i guess so that's probably part and parcel to why I very much intentionally deflected the the spotlight away from me and onto our team because yeah. I was one person and we were a growing team and I for sure didn't have the expertise that they did. Remember, I was a finance economics guy, not an you know, architectural engineer at a college or, or never mind a professional engineer or something like that. But I think one of the other the other key pieces in terms of just you know, innovating and, and kind of diversity that we, that we picked up on is uh, it's just that like diverse organizations and and diversity in general breeds new ideas and it breeds new concepts. And, and as you know, innovation is two old ideas, two, two uh, ideas coming together to create a new idea, two or more ideas. And that allows you know something else to to click right and voila you you have something yeah. new and by hiring these diverse candidates deciding to insource that talent as opposed to outsource that talent we now have the benefit of bringing those ideas coming one's coming from you know an environmental scientist over here and the other one's coming from a mechanical engineer and the other one's coming from an mba and when they get in the room and that we personally believe that it um it ends up netting to bring a lot of value to our client because not only does the environmental scientist and the engineer get smarter in the MBA for them, I get smarter by listening to these other people. But if, and when they, they do, you know, something does click, you know, we, we innovate. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, that, you know, a lot of organizations are afraid of change. People naturally, I think have this bias to be a little bit of afraid of change and, and, want, you know, some sort of constant, but, the old saying, right, change is the only constant. We have just, as an organization, embraced that and allowed ourselves to really constantly change and evolve Uh, as the industry shifts, as our clients shift, as the needs shift, as we bring on new people, you know, et cetera. So,
1: yeah. Speaking of change, uh, Matt, last year was a big year for a lot of people, a lot of change. Mm. How (laughs) has the pandemic affected your business and what you guys do?
0: Well, luckily we were well set up to work remotely from the start and had already in place to kind of work from anywhere and, and when you want, you know, uh policy in place, assuming that, that you could, you know, manage your client workflow and things like that. So that transition was really the easy part. I think the, the more difficult part was really just maintaining the culture and making sure our teammates, you know, didn't, didn't pull their hair out. I mean, it was, yeah. it was hard, right? We've got you know, in some cases still some, some junior folks in our team and they're either sharing apartments or they're still in the early parts of their career and trying to, you know, build rapport with senior folks and, and learn. And that wasn't as, as available anymore. And so we did a couple things really to, to mitigate that, which was around some mental health policies and some every other Fridays, fall Fridays, which is now uh, a year. Yeah. <laughs> Will will be at least a year in, in the making by the by the end, and it's been it's been great. I think it's really helped maintain that culture and morale. And then you know, on the business side and the going concern side, we put in a pretty s- strong um, recession and downturn plan in March April of last year timeframe. I think the the thing was about it is that we actually like didn't even really use it just because. I think by the time May, June came along, we were still, you know, still had strong numbers, still were billing, Yeah, you know, work was still coming in. That was, I think, maybe the surprising part for us is that we were still able to sell in those months. And we got to June, July timeframe and we got, you know, some PPP money. Uh, and we were in a position where we were ready to hire, actually. and And we actually ended up, you know, the second half of the year was really good for us. We ended up hiring about fifteen folks from June or July on. Wow,
1: that many. Okay.
0: Yeah, I think we grew the team by like almost forty percent in the second half of the year. It's kind of crazy to think about. But
1: yeah, has that been in any services that you haven't done before? I mean, has that helped evolve sort of part of your offering too?
0: It has in the fact that we hired a dedicated client solutions team. We didn't have that before. We were effectively like a principal seller doer type model principle-led. Yeah. And we have, we have big ambitions, I guess, and recognize that between some stuff that had happened in my world and some and some shifts that were happening that we probably needed to bring on some people who really knew what they're doing in terms of account-based selling and, and helping to really shape the solutions that we're offering to our clients. Um, as we really started to dig farther and farther into the corporate real estate world, we realized that there was a lot of different things that we were solving on their behalf, but that it wasn't necessarily singing singing together. Yeah. So we actually three of those fifteen folks were basically sales directors, client solutions directors that we hired. We have expanded in a few different ways with what we're offering. You know, ESG in twenty twenty became a really big topic: environmental, social, governance. Yeah, yeah. Not that it wasn't before, but it really takes took center stage with. The Black Lives Matter movement, in addition to uh, you know just some some uh, climate movements, the Greta Thunberg's and, and and folks of the world that you know helped uh, point a spotlight at some things that we were we were blind to at the time. And so we have been developing an ESG uh, service area and, and offering, uh, and actually are, are super excited that we've we've just got our first couple of clients uh, recently. Uh, great for that work. So yeah,
1: great, great. And then, what about your office? I mean, so you mentioned you guys were very, you know, quick to jump to the work from home environment that worked for you guys really well. But what what are you doing now? Where is sort of Stoke from your re- kind of return to work kind of policy? And um, you know, what is your office going to look like in the future?
0: We have folks literally scattered across the globe now um so i'm not sure whether we're going to get them back ever into quote-unquote <laughs> right. offices anytime soon and i think our policies of of really work from wherever you want will probably stay around we do think that you know there's some value for for seeing people face to face naturally that's that's important as, as social creatures that we are we left our lease in san francisco in October. October time frame and have been totally remote across all of our offices, actually, for the last six months. Okay, Hopefully, we will be uh, resigning some leases, both our Denver and SF office in the next couple of weeks here, actually, and are planning to try to go back to the office by uh, the beginning
1: of June. And what does the layout look like for you guys? Is it is it going to change? Or are you guys using this as an opportunity to kind of look at you know how much space you really need, the utility of that space, you know that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, we um, we have to some extent. I'll say that the space we wanted to you know move to and from was one I think where we just upgraded a little bit, just kind of professionalized what we were, what we you know the space we had. We were in a sublease before uh, with DPR construction. Yep, yep. And, you know, it was a great relationship for the last five or six years that we've been in there, but I think we needed, um, you know, to, to evolve again and have a nice space that people really wanted to come into, which I, I'm sure, you know, folks have said to you before about that, like creating a place where um, people are excited to come into. And I'm hoping that we found that, but outside of that, you know, um, <laughs> More, more conference room space, uh, you know, more huddle rooms, things like that are, yeah. are top of top of the list. You know, better kitchen and breakout areas for people to bump into each other. Um, but uh, we haven't gone that deep into our needs at this point outside of, you know, proximity to transit and things like that that people are, are concerned about. Interesting. So Matt this
1: business has been a personal success for you and as a co-founder you've you've you know you know built a robust enterprise that has done really well right um there's obviously been challenges with with like any you know growing business but you've also been faced with some you know personal challenges over the last couple of years tell us about the impact of all of that
0: Yeah I got diagnosed in 20 20- 16 with melanoma stage 3 melanoma and that was i was (laughs) i got i got married in the beginning of august so you can imagine that the timing was just not not opportune but uh i don't think cancer ever is opportune timing but that really i mean threw me for a loop i don't think i even really picked my head up we had just rebranded the business in in early 2016 and so we were like full steam ahead at the time, and and I'll be honest with you, I didn't really get a chance to sit with it or take time off or really reflect on it. I, I felt very much that I had to see that evolution, you know, through. But you know, after a year and a half of chemo, and you know, you learn a little bit more about the disease, and and you grow to, to live with it, and, and life changes, right? You, yeah. you you do a lot of thinking sitting in the chair for three hours wondering if if this is it and for me that put me in a position where i was you know able to potentially tell my i was able to tell my partners that maybe wasn't in in the best position anymore to lead the firm and so you know that took uh, probably two or three years to figure out great detail uh and lots of conversations but um personally i'm in a good spot now in terms of my health. And I'm super thankful to the folks at, at Kaiser who've got me back on my feet. But as I said, you know, mentally, I've I've shifted a little bit. And obviously, you know, you, we've known each other for a long time, and I've been mostly in an entrepreneurial role in trying to to get something off the ground for uh, for a while. I think that the baby bird is is officially flying now. Yeah. And so it, it provides a great opportunity for those who've been with me for a long time to take more of a leadership position. And so, you know, shortly we'll be announcing that transition to uh, a new CEO, at least. Um, I'll be moving into a role, at least where I can focus a little more on the business versus in the business, yeah. more of a strategy and stewardship officer role. But I'm also excited to pursue a passion I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast that, uh, you know, I had a passion around real estate development and, and that's what I really wanted to do. And, you know, 12, 13 years later from 2008, you know, I think that opportunity is uh, is among us. I have a particular passion around income inequality. I just, I think that it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it was a study of mine in my, school, my schooling and in, in economics yep. uh, where we learned a lot about it. And I think that one of the best ways to solve for it is to provide affordable places to live that are proximate to job centers where people don't need to necessarily own cars or have long commutes or uh, have high utility bills, etc. cetera. And I think all of that goes into providing people with stability, right? The, the base foundation of Maslow's hierarchy, right? That yeah. stability of yeah. shelter and, and a place and So my next chapter, my my post melanoma, post uh, you know, building building the consultancy is to is to try to build a investment and development platform that's focused on attainable housing.
1: Excellent. That is a very commendable goal. And yeah, thank you for doing that. That's obviously, you know, much needed, not just across the Bay Area, but many places around the world, right? So Matt, with everything that's gone on in, in the world and in your life. What gives you hope?
0: I don't know. Maybe it's a little cliche, but I'm pretty pretty happy with my one year old son that was was born right at the yeah. beginning of the pandemic, right as we were getting into uh, shelter in place. We were we were headed into the hospital, but yeah, year year later now, I will say that you know, unlike any other experience in my life, including my days as a ski racer, going you know, eighty and ninety miles an hour down the hill. Uh, nothing brings me more joy or exhilaration than just coming home to the little guy. So that's currently my hope. So excited to hear and get feedback, you know, others and just conversations uh, around the uh, the youth and how much the youth today care about the planet. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. want to do something about it. And I don't know whether it was Greta that spurred everybody or 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 what, but it seems that. You know, in addition to you know my family and my my children, that children literally all over the globe are, are picking their head up and realizing that we've got work to do. And so I, yeah, I would love, in a way, in, in my in my future future, to be able to give back to to the youth in some way.
1: Yeah, no, that's a that's a very nice goal. And I'll I'll uh, end this by saying I have a, I have a young niece in Warsaw, Poland, who wrote a poem about the great uh pacific garbage patch and how Mm -hmm. it should be how it should be you know how we should take care of our earth a little bit more so my my sister sent it over to me and i was it was very touching to sort of see someone you know at that age already understanding kind of where where things need to be right what the order in the world needs to be right so that's really great well matt I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for opening up uh, about your personal struggles as well. I mean, it's obviously not an easy road, but stay well and uh, look forward to talking to you 10 years from now.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Vlad. Best of luck in, in your journeys as well. And thank you for the conversation.
1: Thank you for listening to The Real Perspectives Podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business.